time to show the world that top is what I strive for. Greatness is a journey I'm willing to strive for. Consistency is key and I don't take no time off. Against the odds, I put it all on the line for. A lesson learned for every flaw I'm gonna make. Consequence I undertake. Putting all my trust and faith. Failure won't become my fate. Ten toes down, I never fall. Give it all to reach my goal. That's my name is Stone, but my story's told. Say I did it for the... just realized that you're Akin one on Twitter. <laughs> I didn't realize. Oh, that. really? Yeah. You, you, your email, <laughs> Andrew Kim, so no idea. But then I saw your email address and thought, this looks familiar and had a look at Twitter <laughs> because, of course, yeah, I'm aware of your Twitter account, but I didn't make the connection that it's you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's so many Andrew Kims online that I had to find a unique username. So it's my first and last initial and then my Korean middle name, which is Inhuan. But yeah, you, you have a, a unique name and you got your domain name, which is your name. So yeah, makes things well. easier. <laughs> yeah, I retweeted something, Steph Smith. She's like a writer for uh, Trends and she mentioned the same thing. She competes with this Instagram model who's like super hot and has the same <laughs> name and she, she needs to like beat her in SEO. This is why all the celebs give their children strange names. <laughs> it's a clear advantage nowadays if the domain is still available. <laughs> yeah. Unique, but somehow not obnoxious, like <laughs> Apple or Princess. Or... Okay, then I would say let's dive into the product idea list. Yeah. And I'm super excited because a lot of people who talk about product ideas only have ideas that they never actually would try themselves, which is, yeah, it sounds strange, but it's true because it's very easy to come up with ideas, but it's very hard to come up with ideas you actually think have a real chance of being excessive, right? So hmm. I really liked that you um, mentioned that this is your personal list of stuff you might want to work on in 2021, right? Yeah, I really like that So because... It's, it's so easy to come up with grand ideas where you're 100% sure you will never pull it off, right? Right. But I mean, you're a big inspiration for me narrowing it down because I had this, and I think I initially emailed you, I, I had 75 as if that was like a point to brag about, but it's actually not. I would prefer to have a, a smaller list. And actually, I, I was kind of researching more of your blog posts, and I just read this morning before we talked about your uh, the way you uh, separate you have this diagram where you have a list and you have mvp and then easy to work on hard to work on and uh that kind of filter definitely is uh useful i wish i saw that earlier my filter narrowing it down to 10 was just is this uh, something that i repeatedly think about i can i can't i can't like archive it i can't delete it from my list i would feel like it's a waste and also the perspective that this market is interesting and there's nothing like it out there. I think I optimize a little bit more too much for like novelty, like the newness factor. That's kind of a fault of mine. I just really like original ideas, but I think it can be bad a lot, a lot of times. So. Yeah, definitely. So trying to be too clever is not a good idea because uh, mm -hmm. most people will not understand what you are selling at all. So it's better if it's at least close to something that already exists and people are paying for. Absolutely. And I also really like what you just mentioned that you're basically just trying to trust your gut. And I think this is really the best you can do because I know there are 
all these different frameworks and you can create like a spreadsheet and give points, whatever. But ultimately, the most important factor is if you are really, truly excited about it and motivated, then anything else doesn't count that much, at least in my opinion. And I, I think this is really the best way and not some objective market research, which you can't do anyway, right? It's always just guesses. So it's better mm-hmm. to go with a guess you are excited about than some data you pulled up. Okay, mm-hmm. then number one on your list is productize my product hunt profile as a good luck charm because <laughs> I have the lucky of being user number 77777. Yeah. So this was brought to my attention by a Twitter DM from a guy who was trying to like market and cold DM people about his product launch. And I forget his name and his product, but I can bring it up later. So I didn't know I was user number 777777. And later I heard on Eric Torenberg, he was an early product hunt employee. He mentioned that they added this user number because it brings this level of like oh, you know, you're employee number seven at Facebook or number seven, seven, seven at product. Like it's like this internal like ranking or uh, bragging uh, point, I guess. But I mean, at this larger number, it doesn't really matter, but I just happened to get a lucky one or numerologically kind of significant, like all sevens. And it's all like, of course, this is all tongue in cheek and just for fun. And I just thought it would be very easy to launch. Something, you know, just a, a quick win for the next, for the new year, something that would, that I, I could connect closer with Product Hunt community because I, I love that website. And yeah, I, I even asked Product Hunt if I could find, if I could query users in their API, you know, number seven, number 77, number 777, and get all the sevens together. And then we would be like the good luck charms of Product Hunt as, as a group and we could bless uh, a Product Hunt launch. Yeah. So, so what exactly was your idea? Um, so what exactly uh, is the plan? Because I'm not sure I understand it. So I just sort of look at your profile. So I really number 777, but what mm-hmm. would be the productized service or whatever you're providing? Basically it would be uh, providing our, our presence on the launch day. So like we would come into the comments as sevens or me as myself, as number number 777, and be like, hey, we're, bl- we're wishing you good luck on your product hunt launch. Here we are. And then it, it's like it's like for people who have a suspicious or have these like weird beliefs about numbers and stuff, it's totally tongue in cheek. So, oh yeah, okay, I get, I get it now. So you're like, yeah, blessing, you're going into the comments and okay. Oh. Yeah, it's like holy water, fake holy water fake for product cool. hunt. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's awesome. And did you manage to find the other sevens? No, I did not yet. This is uh, very still early idea. So if it's just me, that's fine too. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a seven digit seven. I don't know if there's that many users on Product Hunt. Uh, Ooh, but yeah. Um, I was also thinking on the other end, there's a 666. So they could be Product Hunt <laughs> users. Send them to your enemies, right? <laughs> so there's that end. But yeah, totally just fun. And did you have a look if you can use the API to find them? I asked them. It's not necessarily in the API, like querying by user number, but I made a GitHub issue because that's where the product hunt people pointed me to. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just wanted to look it up. But if you already asked them, they know better <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I, I used the product hunt API in the past mm. just to 
look stuff up and so i never of course looked at the number i wasn't even aware that this is a thing and had a look at my number it's boring <laughs> but yeah I, I really like that and i think it could work as a fun little thing yeah just cute yeah no exactly idea. okay then let's move on to the first serious idea i think it's called negotiation practice or interviewing.io for negotiations not just salary okay mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was inspired by uh, interviewing.io. They've the CEO. She's been interviewed on Indie Hackers podcast uh, twice, I think, and it's a fairly successful business. I have been on the wait list for the longest time. I've never been able to actually use the product, so I can only imagine what it's like. I've seen some videos and screenshots, but yeah, I think it would be quite simple to make like a pairing system and use uh, WebRTC. And so like this, it could just be a Zoom chat or some video chat link. And you go into this scenario of a salary negotiation, let's say. That probably would be the first niche or use case I would focus on. But there's a lot of other negotiation situations like real estate or any large transaction, maybe a car purchase. So someone can be the deal dealer and someone can be the buyer. That You can like switch roles even. And they would have to be I mean, maybe the person on one end could be an expert. So there's a lot of negotiation coaches out there. I'm thinking of like mentoring club and these sites that gather these like experts. Maybe you can reach out to them and ask them to be on the receiving end of this practice. And then, but then if that's too hard to do like a double-sided marketplace, then just match two you know, participants who are able to suspend reality and kind of go under this fictitious negotiation situation and they can, you know, keep their role, not break character. And because, yeah, I mean, the main problem, this is a problem that I had. So, you know, using your framework, it's an organic bottom-up idea, I think. And I, I, I knew that negotiation is so critical, like it can bring in an extra couple K. It, it could be life-changing for some people. It can change a lot of decisions financially. And it's so stupid that this thing we value there's only articles on it and there's no like practical way to take action on it there, there's all these tactics on the wikipedia page for negotiation and there's so many books on negotiation like chris voss's uh, famous book and you know never split the difference all these like books but it's very hard to practice that in real life i mean much less a hostage situation like chris voss is used to like there, there's no way you're going to be in that situation you don't want to be in that situation right so i think you can kind of nullify is that the word like no like make it less uh, scary by just practicing it a lot, right? And yeah, they, they, they mentioned in these articles, you know, talk to the mirror, go to a, like a Toastmasters group. Yeah, this is all the, the principle, you know, of practicing, but, you know, with, there's no like remote web video chat service like this. I mean, I think people currently solve it by just asking their friends, but then I think one step further, it could be like, you don't want to bother your friends all the time. Maybe they're not always in the mood. And also, actually, your friends might be not as serious about it. And you, you do need that kind of scary factor of someone I don't know I'm talking to. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about that idea. Yeah, it's super awesome and could definitely work. Though, of course, the hardest part is that it's like a marketplace, right? Um, since you're not a negotiation expert yourself, because otherwise, of course, you could, could start by offering the service yourself, again, productized service or whatever. But in this case, you would need to build a marketplace and marketplaces are really tough. 
but otherwise i think it's it's an awesome awesome idea and especially i think if you if you niche it down and focus for example on these salary negotiations or something like this which i think is something people would understand immediately and like the usual trick would work that people would be happy to pay for it because they have in their mind okay i will make the money back because yeah it's an investment right so it's not just something you do for fun but you have a real situation that you yeah that you're facing so really really great idea and especially timely right with the whole covid stuff so it, it would get even more realistic because now even the negotiations are really happening in zoom calls so it would be yeah would be would be not even a mock thing but perfect to do it in zoom already and like i said the hardest part is yeah it's a marketplace and have you thought about this like how you actually can get both sides onto your side or yeah is it just, i think just a rough idea already yeah it, it is very rough definitely my initial research shows there's a lot of coaches a lot of people providing advice and they probably do this sort of walk through. They do a little bit of teaching. They have some curriculum and I'm sure they do some live practice. Although the coach probably their time could be spent better doing other things. So maybe in that case, it's like to, yeah, I don't know, maybe, you know, giving them a, an opportunity to be featured on the site as like experts to practice. And then it, that way it becomes like a top of funnel for them. Yeah. You know, they get new clients to become their potential uh, coaching coaches. So, yeah. An idea I just had is that there are probably a few people already on Fiverr and Upwork who offer this kind of service, right? So, and you could maybe just reach out to them because, yeah, another marketplace, why not? So <laughs> it can't hurt. And again, because maybe this is what you had in mind, but I, I thought like this top, priced coaches and of course fiverr is like the bottom where people are doing it for five bucks whatever i will argue with you about anything for five minutes or something along these lines so yeah this could be a place to start and but of course also just asking the big guys couldn't hurt because if you could manage to get one of the big guys onto your side it's yeah it's settled right it's all you need it would become it become so much easier if like the boss guy <laughs> we're offering stuff on your site and there's really no dedicated platform so far did you make uh, any research or i haven't done a, a thorough competitive analysis but i think there's a lot of people offering like consulting like one-on-one -on -one consulting but there's not this like peer-to-peer -peer practice so I, I think after one or two sessions or with enough guidance anyone could be a good negotiation sparring partner you don't need to be like the greatest fighter to be a good sparring partner you just need to you know know the good rules of engagement i think even we could seed one of the negotiators with like certain scenarios and questions that are particularly hard to answer and, and that's all all you really need to do is you just be, need to be convincing uh not break character but i don't think you need to be like a negotiation expert per se like because even you know the people on the other side of the table when you're doing real estate or a car, like they're not necessarily experts in negotiation either. They just re are representing their side, like their dealership or their real estate agency. So like all you need to be a, a good partner for is having that kind of 
acting in that sense that you know you you don't want to give ground be a tough yeah. negotiator yeah absolutely and just as you said it i had another idea because you know um, recently i've been building a lot of these mini tools like this idea prompt tweet what to tweet whatever and yeah. you could do something similar for your uh, negotiation side so like you mentioned mm -hmm. these scenarios or even just yeah like prompts how would you react when someone says this to you whatever could be like side project marketing idea kickstart the whole thing or get some attention from product hunt or wherever hack and use just do it a free free tool and you can build it in like an hour right so it's not difficult mm. and just an just an idea <laughs> and if you need help with this i can definitely i can definitely help because i've built so many of them by now <laughs> yeah i would love to work with you on anything absolutely that's a great idea if it's yeah. enough to get someone's brain uh going I think that's the hard part. They need someone else. But yeah, maybe they can do it, uh, you know, self-directed with some prompts. Yeah, and maybe it doesn't need to be that useful, right? It Primarily, it, it would be to get people interested. And of course, I think the most important part is really, yeah, sparring with real people, not just with looking at screen or at a mirror, right? It's mm. only marginally better. But just for you, it could be a little bit helpful. And like you said, the top of the funnel for your side um, could be something like this and hmm. yeah because it's so easy <laughs> it would be it would be at least worth an experiment i think really mm -hmm. i really like this idea and because there is there are more and more of this matchmaking services popping up so uh, mm -hmm. people also get used get used to it right and yeah you mm -hmm. should definitely try it so at least set it up and also i really like the name uh, negotiation sparing so I, I had just had a look. The domain, unfortunately, is no longer available. Negotiationsparing.com. <laughs> but .io is still free. So Okay. Yeah, I wonder who took that uh, domain, what they were thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's some, I had a look at some weird company. I quickly clicked it away because I was afraid that I get some kind of virus. <laughs> right. But anyway, okay, let's move on to the next one. You wrote down, start with why so expensive product and build something around that. And why so expensive is, are these YouTube videos, right? They are mm -hmm. business insider, business insider. Okay. And can you tell something what the idea is? Yeah. So this is a very vague, it's a starting point. I remember I thought of this or maybe I connected after fact, I was reading the Boron letters. It's like a copywriting letters from prison to his son. And he mentions like, there used to be these old pamphlets that collect literally like marketplaces, people who spend a lot of money on certain things, like it's proven for, I think the example he uses are like people who buy gemstones. So it, it's like, you know, that they're spending this much money on it, that it's super expensive. Therefore, you're probably going to be able to provide some incremental value to them because the, the transaction size. So yeah, with this idea, there's a lot of like weird natural products. The, the commonality with the Why So Expensive series is that they all take a lot of manual labor or it's just very rare materials or seasonal. It's, it's, it's not something you can just pump out and industrialize and therefore it's expensive. And there's a, this like taste aspect to it, taste making aspect to it. So it's very like, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to come by. So, you know, obviously we can't with software make it more uh, abundant, but I'm thinking that their industries are very old school because it's so hand driven. 
a lot of these like sandalwood or, you know, down feathers. And so maybe there's some process operational software that can help them with the management or prediction or forecasting of their sales. Just a very, it could, it's very broad, this idea. So I just think that that's a great customer to have because they're always going to have, I think these rare things are only going to get rare as the population of the earth grows. And because there's this like longstanding understanding that these are like valuable things and that they're rare, that probably only going to get rare. Maybe it's kind of like reminding me of the Lindy effect, but, and I also believe that like, you know, what rich people really love, like normal people eventually kind of try it or, or like it or find it common. That may not always be true, but that's another like kind of line of thinking I, I have around certain ideas. What are rich people already doing that, you know, we'll do soon. So yeah, that's kind of my. Ah, okay. So it's not really an, a fully fleshed out idea, but it's more like a place to start looking for new ideas, right? So, and there are many, mm -hmm. many ways to go about it because so the idea really is that there is this video series or about video, uh, about products that are really expensive and they explain why they are expensive. And I had to look, it's about Rolex videos, Supreme, Apple products, whatever. Wait, mm -hmm. And yeah, then you can start brainstorming from there and in, in many directions, like, what could you do to make your products more expensive, right? So it's, it's one angle you could take, but also, as you said, looking at what rich people do that will become more mainstream, maybe. So, but as far as I see, it's all like physical products. So it's no software, right? Because mm -hmm. this would be really cool to have like, why so expensive about certain types of software? Because... There is, there is stuff that that's surprisingly expensive still. And yeah, I'm always wondering why is no one coming in and building like this cheap alternative? So could be, could be maybe even a content idea to start mm. a why so, why so expensive, but for software completely, <laughs> completely, completely <laughs> yeah. different direction. But I think this would be interesting for many people because these videos seem to do crazily well. They all have millions of views, right? It's mm -hmm. why so expensive. Yeah. Although I think the answer to that question, why so expensive, will be less satisfying for software products. Because literally it's there is no real good reason because they can, you know, software is infinitely scalable and you know the next next you know subscription is like marginally, you know, negligible. But yeah, I I was particularly inspired by like the more natural products like wasabi. They they have an episode on like different kinds of a silk and Yeah, the, I'm not saying, you know, I, I just think that they, they tend to be like family owned and like kind of ancient production systems and in remote areas. And yeah, I, there's a lot of research to be done there. So I think it's it's a good fodder for people searching for, you know, product ideas that are interested in like physically rare things. So Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Something I've never looked into. So because I'm not rich, so I, have no, <laughs> I know I know nothing about expensive stuff, but I definitely I will definitely check it out. And yeah, it's so I coming back to to the software thing. I think there must be a reason mm. because certain types of you can't get certain types of software cheaply. For example, SEO software like Ahrefs, right? It starts mm. at a hundred bucks a month, and There are a few alternatives, but they all have a similar price point. And 
it's really strange because uh, why is no one building like something similar with, of course, just a few core features and offering it for, I don't know, 20 bucks, right? And a, a normal price, I would say. And mm. of course, there must be a reason. And in this case, it probably has to do with that scraping large parts or crawling large parts of the web is expensive. But I also read a while ago that it's no longer that expensive to crawl really, really huge parts of the internet. Because what they do is they, yeah, they try to do some kind of reverse engineering for Google. So of course they also need to crawl the sites and then build their own page rank, authority factors, whatever. So I'm not sure. So if it's really not possible to build something like this cheaper, but who knows? Just just one idea that it immediately came into my mind when I heard why so expensive, right? So. Yeah, no, I like that the different place you took that idea. I think it makes sense. Yeah, just as the answer to the, you know, why so expensive physical products is a lot of hand labor. I think the why so expensive for software is there's a lot of robot labor involved and that's why it's so expensive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I just try to think of other software that's too expensive. And I'm pretty sure if I would think about it more, there are many, but currently... I don't pay for that many software products. <laughs> Not sure. Do you use anything expensive? On a recurring basis? No, I try to minimize it. Yeah, I'm not at that stage. <laughs> yeah, I think Descript is with Ahrefs my most expensive subscription. And mm. I'm actually not sure what I'm paying, but I think 20 bucks or so a month. But it's not the, the highest level. Mm. Oh, and Airtable, of course. I'm paying for Air, Airtable, mm. but I'm also not sure how much I'm paying actually. It's the pro yeah. tier, the, the most expensive tier. But then again, I use some credits. So it's, I don't know, hard hard to calculate how much I'm really paying. Mm. Yeah, definitely cloud service is probably most expensive, but it's variable. Like I paid almost over $100 for like Amazon Personalize, which is like their recommendation service. Really? What's that? I've never heard of that. So they basically have like out of the box algorithms for, you know, those we just scroll to the bottom of a site and there's like recommended posts or on Amazon, there's like recommended items. So I don't know if it's exact same thing that they use for Amazon, like their e-commerce store because it's the same company, AWS, but I, I think they probably definitely not, but it's, it has some similarities to like, like batch inference or like being able to know, recommend based on items or users. So there's like collaborative or uh, content-based filtering. And I think they kind of, they, they made it a bit easier. So it's like a multi-step process. You just upload your data and then you, you pick which model you want. And then you get the inferences, like the guesses to what you should recommend as RS. an API. Yeah, it's, the, it's an AWS product. Okay, I get mm -hmm. it. I thought mm -hmm. I, I first thought it was some kind of concierge service where they personalize your Amazon experience <laughs> and buy stuff for you. So when I heard it, I thought, what? But maybe another idea. So what are you using the Amazon personalized API for? I used that one month and I uh, quickly turned it down. I turned it off. I didn't know it was going to ramp up that much. I, I used it for like a government challenge. I recently uh, won, actually, our team won. It's uh, for Sohiko.org. It's a uh, social engagement platform for seniors. Basically, we wanted to recommend seniors like the right intervention or program or service for them based on how they answered our, our assessment on how uh, isolated they are. 
So isolate social isolation is kind of like loneliness, but it's more like an objective measurement rather than like a it's like a subjective feeling of loneliness. It's a big silent epidemic, definitely heightened by COVID, because a lot of elderly people are not being visited as much. But yeah, that's basically where I use that service. What was the the domain again? I didn't get that. Oh, S O H E C O dot org. Strange. I didn't find it. Sohiko.org. Yeah, it's not loading. So not sure if the problem is on my side, but I also Googled for it and didn't find it. So because it sounded really interesting and wanted to check it out. But it, yeah, maybe it's offline. Huh. I see. It. I'll, I'll just chat it to you. Maybe okay. uh, we're spelling it differently. Uh, I wrote it with an I instead of an E. Okay. Oh, my okay. fault. My fault. So <laughs> that. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. And you actually won it, but it's is it still working even though you turned off the the API or are you now using something different? Yeah, so we ended up using more of like a heuristic approach. So based on if they answer this question in our type form assessment this way, then we're going to recommend this uh, category of, of items. So it's more, yeah, like hand uh, guided. It's a decision tree, right? So yeah, basically. What, pe what people did before <laughs> neural networks mm -hmm. came around. Yeah, yeah exactly. Of course. Uh, makes, makes perfect sense. If you don't have that many options, then you can just hand code it, right? Mm -hmm. I think it becomes more powerful, that kind of uh, cloud service, if you're collecting a lot more interaction data between users and items. So did they click on this? How long did they stay? There's just a, a lot of things you could track and that could augment the signal of which items are actually useful for this type of user. But we decided to just go with our expert knowledge of, I mean, our team, there's a lot of people that have worked in gerontology, and people that understand like these services definitely match with people who are deaf or are living in this area. So we already knew that there's little to go off of there. So we just, yeah, did a decision tree, like you said. Really, really cool idea. Since you have some um, experience with this field, I'm super curious because this is something I've always wondered about is why are recommendations so bad everywhere? Like, <laughs> I really don't get it. On the one hand, you hear all about these advances in machine learning and how much money they are paying for machine learning engineers and all the hype. But mm. honestly, like recommendations only got worse everywhere. So mm. of course, the perfect example for me is Google. Since they started to include machine learning stuff, yeah, I don't know. It, the search results really got worse, noticeably, in my opinion, but it's the same everywhere. So my YouTube recommendations are complete nonsense. My uh, Netflix recommendations are useless. It's the same on Amazon when I click on a product and I never think, oh, I should buy this too. Maybe it's just me, but I, I, I really don't get why all the recommendations are, are so bad. And I, I thought about this for myself and I have an idea, at least for some use cases, what the problem is and how to solve it. Or oh, another perfect example is Goodreads. So like hmm. the recommendations you get on Goodreads, you can really forget, you can completely forget them. I, in, in my opinion, because you, everyone gets the same recommendations over and over again, it's just the biggest hits right? The, the, the Harry mm. Potter and whatever. 
the books mm -hmm. everyone already knows about. So yeah, it's not really useful. And actually I had a conversation with someone who wanted to build a Goodreads alternative and she mentioned a cool website someone is building, which is also just focusing on the recommendation stuff. So it's like um, a book recommendation engine and it works actually well. So it's one of the hmm. few examples I ever found where someone seemed to have figured out at least in a niche case recommendation. But first, I really would love to hear your thoughts. How, do you have similar observations or is it just me? <laughs> yeah, I don't use Netflix or Goodreads. I have accounts, but like I don't actively use them. But I, I know what you're saying, like YouTube recommendations, I, I sympathize with. I think it's because they're trying to recommend to you based on all of these big population of people. Whereas in real, real life, the, the recommendations that I personally like are, let's say, Tim Ferriss's book recommendations. Like those are high signal for me. So I think it needs to be closer to that. The algorithm should be, you know, wh which people do you really follow? And that could be of a smaller amount rather than what these algorithms are trained to do, which is give you recommendations based on a huge number of people that you care nothing about, uh, or maybe the same small amount of but they should weight it stronger to certain people that you like. And, and I also think like, you know, they recommend you a book from, they should, they should cross-reference that with other lists and uh, rankings that people have made. So I think it, it helps if there's this like rank choice method of like, I don't know if that's, that's the right way to explain it, but like what I would only recommend you awareness by Anthony DeMello if it was also in the top 10 of, other people's so if, if i knew that this book was in the top 10 of other people's lists then i would recommend i would know that the rest of their other people's lists would match for you uh, rather than just saying like not basing it off of like other people's own recommendations so basically it's, it's a meta idea basically like recommendations work best when they're also coming from other people's personal recommendations i, I think i think like you know, you, you look at their uh, bibliography or their references list, that's a great place to start for a, a book and the way it branches off rather than I think what they now do is just like how people interact on the site that they built, like the platform that they made. But a lot of these recommendations are happening not on the platform and, and the relationship and the love they have towards these objects or media items is happening offline. So like it, there's a disconnect there. They're collecting it, the data in one place, but the, the signal and, and the value that they get is expressed and made elsewhere, you know? Yeah, and this popularity-based approach is completely flawed, in my opinion, because, of course, they show, like, these videos by the huge influencers to everyone, so everyone watches them, and they get recommended over and over again. So it's a really silly loop, in my opinion, and exactly the same that happens on Goodreads, of course, like millions of people have like have have five star ratings for Harry Potter, but this doesn't mean that you should recommend Harry Potter to everyone, right? So it's it's yeah, I'm already aware of Harry Potter. You don't have to tell me about it. So mm -hmm. and it's the same on 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 YouTube where and wherever that you yeah get get mostly recommendations you already know about, and I really like what you just said about these personal, these recommendations coming from individuals, because what I'm end up doing most of the time is that I'm searching on Twitter. So I'm using Twitter like I used to use Google 
right? So I'm really looking for who recently tweeted a movie and I'm filtering just for people I follow or I'm looking for books and then just recommendations from people I follow. And there's usually some gold in there compared mm. to yeah, Goodreads or Amazon, where in theory, you should be able to find great recommendations. And I just did a look, the, the oh, my <laughs> theory was just activated. Because <laughs> you said theory. <laughs> yeah, it's my German, my German uh, accent. Is, this, the story graph is the website I mentioned where recommendations hmm. are working quite well in, in my opinion. And so in, in any case, I think there is a huge opportunity to do something in that direction. And there are many ways you can do it because I think lots of people are currently yeah, using platforms in strange ways, like workarounds, right? And searching on Twitter for, for book recommendations from your followers recently is kind of like a workaround. So, and I'm pretty sure that many other examples, and I actually have a file somewhere of these kind of workarounds, and I wanted to think about it more. But I think there's, a, there's, there's really um, an opportunity to build something, maybe like the story graph or whatever, but for different kind of niches. And my personal idea that I, that I had, because I was, so, I, I was so, so, so mad because I just got these blockbuster uh, recommendations. So, and what mm -hmm. I thought uh, would be cool is, yeah, what you can do certainly is match the taste of people, right? You can, you can quickly find out, okay, Jacob, has a has a similar similar taste as Andrew, right? So this is possible, but then you shouldn't recommend like the 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 highest rated book on his list. Like the if you have like Harry Potter on your favorite and lots of other books, you usually get a recommendation Harry Potter. But I think that a much better um, approach would be to recommend recommend like hidden gems, right? These kind of books that. We have a similar taste and you love a book that almost no one knows about. So probably Jacob doesn't know, know knows about it. Let's recommend it to him. So I, I had this mm. hidden gem <laughs> recommendation idea and I, I would love to try it at one point because I think it could be really valuable. Yeah, that's a good point. I, yeah, I think the, the reason the frustration with recommendations is there's nothing worse than being recommended something that you already know or uh, something that you already tried and you hate it. So I think there's a pro another problem is these platforms, they are good at capturing like positive indication of good recommendation, but they don't capture like, I'm not interested in this or like the negative side. I, I think Spotify recently added like, you know, I don't like this song. Cause I remember I tweeted at them. I was like, I don't like this song. It's in my daily discover. Can you just know that I don't like this? And, and then on another note, just giving people an option to see settings where like they can manually change the algorithm or like, you know, you see like I, you've, Amazon actually does this on their e-commerce site, but it's hard to get to. It's, it shows like what you've interacted with in the past and you can change it because sometimes you buy gifts for people and they include that in your recommendations. It's bad. So they give you the option to change it. So yeah, there needs to be, maybe that's another like uh, a good point is like there should be a better interface for allowing people to prune and improve their algorithm if they don't like it uh, and understand like, what led to like explainability ai explainability is like a big problem right so if you know why this harry potter was explained i mean recommended maybe then you would know what to change about your behavior or your past actions because we're just assuming that harry potter is recommended because it's super popular with a lot of 
similar age groups or geographies, but yeah, there could be a different reason totally unknown to you and you wouldn't be able to correct it. Like, so yeah, instead of throwing our hands though, maybe it's easier if they give us interface, uh, we can put our hands to it and change it what, around. Would so at least be a start, definitely. Yeah, I actually have a friend who's currently doing his PhD in AI explainability. So I should talk to him mm. <laughs> and ask him about the bad recommendations. And of course, another example that just came to my mind is these ad retargeting, right? If you just bought a swimming pool, you get ads for swimming pools everywhere, but it's completely silly. I already bought one. I will not buy another one, right? And it's happening mm -hmm. to everyone. And a really strange thing that lots of people complain about is also that on Netflix, you can't remove movies or um, series that you have already seen, right? I mm -hmm. Don't show it to me. I already saw it. I already saw it. And I'm, I understand why they're doing it because um, then people would realize really quickly how little new content there is and how little new content there really is that they really like. And if you are just showing them everything you have all the time, people are usually overwhelmed and they can dig through the catalog for hours, where if they could do it systematically, well, they really would get quickly to the end of the maze and maybe decide to do something different, right? Mm. Instead of, <laughs> it's, it's my theory, but it's strange, right? It, it would be super easy to um, implement something like this where you can just, I. I'm not interested in this movie because I've seen it or I don't like it or whatever. I've decided that I will never watch it and you can't just can't do it, right? So you get the recommendation to, walk, to watch the latest movie by The Rock every single day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a Chrome extension. Just hide things that you've seen if you want. Yeah, I have a lot of ideas that end up just being like features. Like if they could just implement it, it wouldn't have to be made <laughs> as a separate thing. Sometimes it's easier just embedded in the original problem source, like Netflix in this instance. Yeah, and what is what I'm also curious about is how well did this Amazon personalize work, and why you used it and not something you built yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to give it a try to show that we could scale potentially. It, it was more for the judges, honestly, than if I look back for our. For, because we actually didn't know what it recommend initially, so give it a try. I actually tried Algolia's personalized. They had the same name for their product, but that's based more on active search actions. So like you're typing into a search bar. It, it's I don't think you can just recommend things off the cuff, like without any typing or intent, like with voice search. So yeah, I mean, I, I, we, just, we just thought that it, it would be great eventually for scale, like uh, but we weren't at that point. We only had like 300 items. The number of users was still like very small because it's beta, maybe like a, a couple hundred as well. So it's a hundred to hundred. There's not much that algorithm can uh, tease out that we're not able to do at that level, but it was definitely interesting to see. I mean, I could see it being very useful if you were at the scale of like tens of thousands. It's overwhelming at that point. There's so many decision branches and you don't know what the next user would really want without any sort of information on them. And, and yeah, I think it's different because we had an assessment. We actually did uh, survey like what they're interested in. Like we had demographic questions, but I think these become more useful when you're not able to do that and you just have a cold start issue. Like they land on your page, you need to recommend them something immediately. Like they signed up for Netflix, you have no information. In that case, these algorithms give you something to start with, I guess. I, I mean, honestly, you could just start with like featured latest top 
and that would be this almost similar probably but yeah I, I think the the value in these is scale and then over time they, they could incrementally improve with more interaction data so are they providing you um, with pre-trained models or is it really just algorithms yes it's pre-trained models so you ah, can okay. pick yeah they have a documentation page with like uh, several of them i think there's not that many it's like less than 10 it just depends on various factors that they outline like yeah interesting this is so something i have on my list that i want to try at one point is build an api myself and sell it so mm. i i haven't decided on on what exactly my api will do but i really love like the technology the simplicity of the whole thing because you can host it right you can host it on on abs and like you pay per query and you can charge per query so you can't lose money really so it's it's like if it works it works and if it doesn't work doesn't matter so i really wanted to try it and i'm not sure what it will do but maybe recommendations would be a cool place to start or a horrible place to start i'm not sure <laughs> but it's something <laughs> i'm i'm at least excited about and would like to figure out at least for uh, a niche case so yeah i think that makes sense i mean a good api business is something that you could imagine a lot of business owners or website developers utilizing and recommendations is absolutely a crucial i mean it, yeah algalia and amazon are an example like they have it themselves so clearly there's demand for it there's a market for it and especially if it's like a unique approach and it includes some of the things that we're talking about the, the frustrations and, uh, you could even do like a side-by-side -side comparison of using these existing monolithic, like, or not monoliths, but in, the, in, the, in that term, but like AWS. Uh, yeah. It's like a more indie approach to recommendations. That would be smart. Like on the landing page, the recommendation you get by using this API <laughs> compared to, yeah, I like that. Already the marketing nailed. So you have <laughs> a lot of other stuff on your, on your list. And I'm not sure yeah. if, we, if we can make it through it. Maybe we need to record the second part because we are just at number four out of 10 and already one hour in, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how much time you have today, but let's do at least one or two additional ones. So the next one is a little bit cryptic. It says, collapse gun generative adversarial network. Yeah, there's not much explanation behind that. So yeah, it's... Basically, there's a lot of collaborations happening, you know, like Slack had made a shoe with Cole Haan, or there's like these random out of left field. You take two brands and you mix them together, make some sort of product, and it has appeal to both audiences, potentially. There's, there's so many examples of this. There's a lot of drops that happen like this, like Supreme and North Face, but not just in apparel, but that seems to be a popular place for this kind of thing. I think it could also be done in software. Like maybe there's a Facebook and YouTube collab and it's, I don't know, that's a, that's a horrible example, but <laughs> there's maybe more of like a, a service that you use. So like a convert kit mixed with Notion or something, I don't know, but I think it, it tends to be done for like physical merchandise because it's like a, a, a temporary thing, right? These things don't seem to have a long shelf life because it's just like, it's rare. It's only one time collaboration. So it's like, it's usually under the guise of like Stussy X other brand name. So it's like Y X Z. So they put those two names together. And, but I mean, with people, it's not that special because it's just like 
oh, these two people are just partners. But with like brands, it seems to have this like weird effect on the on consumers' brains where it's like, oh, I don't know what that would be like. Like, what would Apple and HP, like a collab be like? What would it look like? So uh, I think the, the GAN would help in that case where you can kind of generate like product lines or different ideas of like merged products and see, get, get a signal. So, so basically the idea is like, I, I was thinking it, it just would just be for fun. I don't think it's very like viable as a business, but, you know, just generate different collabs that haven't been done yet, or maybe train a model on like which collabs have been successful monetarily, and then try to find tangential like brands to put together. And this should be basically a way, a, a way of telling these brands, put this out into the world. I think like this collaboration could generate money for your both of your companies. There's already some interest here. So it's kind of like a, a kickstart type model where like you're you're using AI to generate these collaborative like launches in, in like fiction and just pixels and then garnering interest and then telling maybe reaching out as a business model, like reaching out to those companies and saying, hey, like we've already kind of proven and validated that a lot of people would buy this like new shoe made by like these two random companies, maybe you should build it and you can give us some credit if you're like nice enough. I don't know. I don't know how you would force that last part, like get, get them to give you credit on making this even a concept. Because th- th- these are very weird, probably collaborations that people have never thought of yet. So yeah, just, it's kind of like the idea sex, but for like collaborations of brands. Yeah, I see. So what I don't quite understand yet is what the Gen has the gen has to do with it, though the generative adversarial network. Can you explain that in a bit more detail? Because of course you could mm-hmm. um, like do it completely dumb by yeah making two lists and then creating them randomly or whatever. And a little button if people like the idea, you can even maybe create some mockups, whatever, automatically. And then if people like it, they can tweet it and you can create some dynamic this way. So like a fun project, whatever. But what you have in mind is maybe a bit more sophisticated. So can you maybe explain in a bit more detail what the machine learning aspect here is? Yeah, the, the GAN is simply to inspire a bit more with visual output. So if I, if I picked Kolhan and Slack, this, this GAN would be able to generate Kolhan shoes with different Slack colorways. Or basically like leaving that... What would normally have to be done by humans in terms of like, how do we bring these brands together in terms of style, dif- their, their differing style design languages and different product lines, how would we merge them together? And would that resulting item or product look at all enticing for customers? So like, yeah, rather than just having text, like it's not enough to get the mind flowing. So you show them a little bit of a weird AI generated shoe. It could be blurry and fuzzy and, and weird looking, but maybe that gets the juices flowing and they're like, oh yeah, I would buy that new sweater from Mr. Beast and McDonald's or random, whatever you, you know, what, what your mind goes is different from everyone else. So like, and again, that's beauty is you could have an infinite number of like variations. Ah, so I see. Yeah. So you're using GAN as a synonym for a machine learning algorithm that is able to produce images, right? Mm-hmm. This is okay. I see. I, I I was not aware that this is like the standard way, yeah, to use to use it because mm. um, I was aware of like the concept, 
but and I was aware that people use it to generate images, but I didn't make the connection that here you're like entering Nike and McDonald's and the GAN produces like an image for you that shows you immediately what the collab could look like and produces infinitely many in theory of these, right? Of these right. collabs and you can, yeah, cool. That yeah. could work. Cause it could, yeah. Because it could be a burger with a Nike logo on it. Or it could be a shoe with the McDonald's color on it. So it's like you could go either way, depending on which brand has more weight to it. But yeah, there's infinitely many. And then, and then the other alternative aspect is like, how do you pick which brands to mix together? I think that could be done a little bit more intelligently in terms of like which collabs have succeeded in the past, which industries tend to do well when they collab together, which ones have similar audiences. So there, there could be more on that side in the picking which ones to collab, but yeah, maybe it the best. I, th I think uh, it would work best if you allow like any combination because I think the weirdest ones would attract the most the most <laughs> attention. Yeah, that and like like the obvious ones people have already thought about, but uh, like McDonald's and Nike, probably not. So <laughs> I think the 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 the, yeah. the coolest part would be allowing the weird stuff. So right. And have you worked with Guns in the Pearls past? No, I have not. So I would probably reach towards some existing like collab, no collab, notebook, like style again, or they, they usually have these like kind of out of the box models. And then the hard part is just training it on the right type of data. So you, for each brand that you have in this database, you would need like clean images of their product lines that are able to be morphed together. Or you have some scraping logic that like searches for the right image, the right type of image, like a PNG or. Yeah, I see. So at least for the big brands, this shouldn't be a problem, I think. But of course, like the hardest part as in any machine learning problem is finding, yeah, finding the, the data set to train your stuff on. So interesting if you can pull it off. So like, I don't know how many images you would need, right? So to train your, your network in that case. But otherwise, if you can pull it off, I think it would be, it would at least generate a lot of attention, right? Yeah. So just just as you as you mentioned this, I had another idea, and I'm pretty sure someone has already did it, and maybe you know it. Has someone created like a logo generator using a gun? I've seen a lot of logo generation sites. Definitely, I don't know what they use though. That yeah, because be. because the ones I know usually make you pick these icons and colors and fonts, and then they just mix them randomly. Right there is. Mm -hmm whatever and they say they use i don't know ai whatever but we all know how it works <laughs> it's really primitive stuff at least in my opinion and something more free-flowing would be pretty cool i just haven't seen it because i've seen a lot of these logo creator sites but uh, nothing like this where you can just add your name and maybe a few adjectives verbs whatever that are related and it will produce 100 for you, right? Most of them would be really weird, but maybe a few cool ones would spark your imagination enough and you can take it from there. So <laughs> just a random idea. I'm not sure if this would be possible, but it would be, I think, from the technology side, much easier than hmm. what you what you just described, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, with the two different companies, it's merging disparate styles. Yeah, you, I think to train the data, you would need to find existing collapse. This mm -hmm. is what you would need as, as the input to train your stuff. 
So you would need to make a database of all the call-ups that have happened and what they produce. And based on these images, I think this is how yeah, it would It could be like that, or you could have your own way of generating collabs. I, I think it, it really just has to do with the, the commonality I see in these collaborations is the logo being placed in somewhere you don't expect it and putting it, mixing the merchandise. So like a shoe with Slack's logo on it, that's not somewhere you would expect it, but it works somehow and it's built by Kohan. So yeah, you could either, yeah, you could train it or you could just be like, just mix what they make and then what their logo is or vice versa. Could be as simple as that. Yeah, sure. I haven't thought of that. I, I thought in more complicated terms, but of course, <laughs> what you describe it would be much easier and could still be successful. So let's move on to the next one. And it just says dynamic price widget. Right. So this one, I, I was, I've been reading Monetizing Innovation. It's like a book by these pricing consultants that help decide, like, how do you price the Porsche SUV? Like that was the first example they gave in the book. And like basically start with the pricing first and then think of what you're going to build and the features that you choose to include crucially. So this inspired me, like there's a lot of, I think the problem that people don't uh, really express, but it's, it's silent is that people are pricing things based on a fixed number, like 29 per month. And with a fixed set of features, maybe it moves every now and then, like when there's a big shift, but I think there's a, a big way to do like a, a pick, like a a la carte, like feature. So on, imagine a pricing page for all these startups and you uh, embed our idea, which is the widget. And you basically allow each customer to pick which features they want. And they don't know which features lead to which price changes, but like that would be, that would determine how much they pay per month. So it's, it's kind of like the, you know, call, get in touch with us, like the enterprise column is usually for but doing it so that it's interactive and they know what they're going to get the problem with this obviously is like a, a lot of people's software is not built so dynamically like they can't just easily disable but i don't know maybe it could be as easy as like disabling the button or like removing it like adding display none with css and then it's like not there uh, unless they hack it so I think there's ability for people to capture more or less, like people who are usually easily turned away or people who are uh, able to pay much more, but they're paying a smaller amount. Like there's a, there's a, a wider range that people could be charging, but are scared to do because it's really hard to, it's really hard to know exactly. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of these companies, like they do the research before they figure out the pricing or they've hired these consultants, let's say, but I don't know. I would have to really validate this. This is a very early idea. Yeah, cool. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. So the first one is you mentioned this consultant expert with Porsche and you start with the price. And actually last week or two weeks ago, I talked to Andrew Kempfey and he told me about this product ideation method where you just pick like a group of people and then the price point, And then you start ideating from there. So what could you offer to Twitter users for a thousand bucks a month? And it's a really fun exercise if you do it. So of course, a lot of a lot of nonsense. And I actually built a mini tool for that, right? Where you can add, add the price points yeah. and the groups and then it matches them and just to get the creative juices flowing. And this sounded a little bit like this. And I, I've started to do it for, for myself and for my product. And I started to um, think about, okay, 
for the customers that I currently have? What could I offer for $1? What could I offer for $1,000? And yeah, it at least helped me a lot to think from this new perspective that I hadn't had before. Mm. Then on the, on the other hand, I recently read a blog post by John O'Nolan, the founder of Ghost, the Ghost content management mm -hmm. system. And he has this personal blog called Really Words. And it's paywalled, but he has one article, one essay that says the bad advice that cost us $2 million in revenue, $2 million in revenue. And basically, it's about that he was unsure how to price Ghost when they started. Mm -hmm. So what he did what everyone is doing. He did research. He read the books. He talked to the experts. And yeah, the advice he got wasn't very good. So because everyone was recommending against a usage-based pricing, right? So because the thinking, so it sounds very illogical because you actually want that people use your product and you're discouraging this if you're doing this usage-based pricing. So don't do it, mm. right? And they didn't do it. And then at, at some point, they, as an experiment, they tried it. So now they have, if you have more than 10 team, team, team members, if you have more than 5,000 users, whatever, then you have to pay more, right? And once they turned this on, their, their revenue curve really goes like this, up, mm. up, up. And he also mentioned that no one complained, right? They still waited. Mm -hmm. They are still waiting for a similar complaint email. So if they had done this much earlier, they yeah, would have earned a lot more money by now. And yeah, he's, he's mm. raging a bit about these consulting experts, pricing experts, because they are often just theorizing. So they are not speaking from a point of personal experience and something I've learned from my, from my um, university days is that it's so incredible easy to come up with a convincing story for any point you want to make. And mm -hmm. this is really the case here because of course it sounds completely logical. Right, you are you don't want to make usage-based um, pricing because you discourages it, whatever, and yeah, it's it's nonsense, right? In in this case, as proven by them, right? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. it's it's and so he's recommending uh, that you only should take advice from people who have who have recently done what you want to do, right? And this is. Mm -hmm regardless of what you what what else you think this is solid advice i think because all these theorizing and yeah it's it's not that valuable in my, in my opinion because as i said it's so easy to come up with this with this bullshit stories mm -hmm. that have no real substance once you really test them out in the real world so just just another tangent <laughs> because i just uh, read this uh, article a few days ago and i thought it was really interesting and it's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a tough problem pricing, but so coming back to your idea, I really like that uh, because I often have this problem where like, some service like Ahrefs in my example is super expensive, but I would like to use only a tiny part of it. Right. So <laughs> of, of course, yeah, I, I'm not sure how the mass pans out because there is this effect that you earn more by bundling stuff. Right. So yeah, you're losing uh, a few customers who would buy your stuff if you, they could just buy the feature you want at a much cheaper price, but you're also getting 
users that are paying much more than they usually would. And there is this article by Nathan Bashu, the divination Substack writer, mm -hmm. and he's part of this everything bundle. It's called on. Right. Um, and he has a really interesting blog post um, where he yeah, dissects the mass behind it, why it makes sense. There's this one table where you have like different customers and they would be willing to pay that much for this substack, that much for that, this substack, zero for that, $1 for that, whatever. So they have these pricing preferences in the bundle and ultimately, well, yeah, you get more by bundling stuff is the point mm -hmm. he's trying to make. And I, I'm tempting to believe that though. <laughs> it, it's Again, it sounds plausible and I'm pretty sure um, that since he's tried it himself, um, otherwise, he would not be part of this collective. It makes sense from from the from the from the seller side, right? Mm -hmm. To bundle stuff, but of course, for us buyers, it's a bit annoying to pay so much for, yeah, like buying a magazine, even though you're just interested in one article. But what what are you gonna do, right? <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> most people will st still buy it anyway, and it justifies a much higher price point. So, yeah. I think there's always going to be a movement the opposite direction to how things already are. So the 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 default, the status quo was Substack where everyone is already unbundled. It's just themselves. But then, yeah, it's 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 novel because they're putting it together, and that does seem to create some some new newness to the to the model. And with with pricing, yeah, everything is already in these three columns almost always, and they're already bundled together. So maybe it would be novel and it would give the user some optionality and they would have some power over what they want to pay for if you unbundle that pricing module for them. But I don't know, it's a theory, exactly. So, and it's going to depend. I also like that you brought up the, the Campri and that digression because maybe it's not just, you know, pay what you want or pay for the features you want, but it's also like change the model. So maybe I'm, I would like to pay quarterly. You know how like these like newspaper subscriptions, it's always like digital only, mobile only, or print only, or all of them together. And it's usually like yearly or monthly, but maybe you would like to do quarterly. So I don't know. But then there's also this count, this advice that you shouldn't provide so many options. It could be too much options. It could be like- A paradox of choice, yeah. Yeah, so that's- yeah, th this may not fly as, as a widget, but I just thought it was interesting. I thought there was uncaptured value there. There's definitely some people that, I, I know that I personally would, but I don't think everyone is as intentional about like which things that they need. Maybe they're just looking to set and forget it. So yeah, maybe maybe another approach could really work because if you're building stuff on top of existing platforms, I think it could maybe work because one example I'm thinking about is data for SEO.com. And what they're doing is they buy access to SEO data, like Ahrefs, SEMrush, whatever. And then they act as a reseller and, and provide just access to individual data points. So you can, like, usually if you're, you need to become a subscriber of SEMrush, which costs, as I don't know, yeah, lots of money each month. But if you're just inter interested in the traffic data, you can do it with data for SEO. So they have like the subscription and then they act as a reseller for just this one. Yeah, they, they unbundle it and make a profit along the way, which is really smart. So 
of course, it's it's a point of legality. Of course, I think I think what they are doing is legal because they are huge, and I think they have talked to the the, the relevant parties. I'm not sure, but that's my impression <laughs> that 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 this is yeah, it could could quickly become a bit illegal, right? If you are just doing it without talking to the companies, if you're just acting as a reseller without asking them, but it's it it could really be amazing for all involved parties, right? Maybe Semrush doesn't want to deal with these small buyers and they data for SEO acts as a middleman and yeah, captures value that would get lost other way. So, and just, just another example that of course I just had didn't to mention Substack is maybe packaging individual Substack articles and selling them, right? Could also be unbundling. Of course, please don't do it illegally. <laughs> this is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, maybe you're just interested in one or two of the articles in a Substack, so you don't need a subscription uh, for it and could at least be worth a try to reach out to the people and ask them, hey, you get 80% of the profit for each sale. I will do all the marketing work and maybe, yeah, it will work out. But this is where I can see this could potentially work if you can, again, get the sellers on site. Maybe they have no interest in it because, yeah, they lose subscribers if people can just pick whatever they want. They're really interested in and pay less along the way, but might be worth an experiment at least. Yeah. Or maybe it's as, maybe what I'm trying to get at is negotiation, like automated negotiation with like an AI, like chatbot, like with with the pricing module, like maybe instead of me picking which pricing I want to do, like you just note your interest in what you would pay for. And then the, the company's, the company automatically responds with, yes, that's doable or that's workable. Like, so they have like a certain threshold. They have some internal math or logic and like, yeah, with those number of features, that price, I'm willing to do that. That's okay. But then if not, then in the, in the worst case, you can't do that deal. You still have information. You've captured that. Whereas normally people just leave the website, you have no idea what they were willing to part with, how much they were willing to, to get. So I don't know. But then obviously that's a lot of back and forth potentially, but I think that could be automated. I think that's essentially what the call us, get in touch with enterprise plans is. There, That's that back and forth trying to gauge closer yeah. to what the optimal amount of money is. I, I guess it makes more sense when it's a larger sum to optimize to the right number. But even with the smaller amounts, like even with the people who don't want that much out of a plan, if you can optimize a whole bunch of those small incremental pricing plans, then that could be, that could add up to a lot. But yeah, I think it's been ignored because it's so small and it's so much back and forth. But yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool given especially the current outrage over phone calls because, <laughs> right? There, there's this hate against metrics because they introduced that you have to make a call in order to cancel your subscription or something like that. Yeah, so. Also, everyone hates when you have to call a service in order to make a, to buy something, right? Everyone hates that. Mm -hmm. And like working chat widgets that replaces these kind of negotiations would also be really cool. Of course, I think it could be tough to make it bulletproof or maybe people would be able to game it depending on what you really, yeah, what, what, but maybe could be to start with just a decision tree again, right? And mm -hmm. if, yeah, if you, if you can get any sellers on board, I think the buyers would love it. That's, that's clear if people 
could pay less for just the stuff they are truly interested in. And yeah, yeah. So that that idea evolved live. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> that's yeah. That's, chatbots are usually used for support, but I think for pricing, it could be. Yeah, absolutely. So now we are already ninety minutes in almost. So would you be interested in doing a second episode because you have quite a few other cool ideas I would love to talk about? And absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, Jacob. Nice to finally meet you, put a face to all the online chatter. Yeah, yeah awesome. Bye-bye. All right, bye, Jacob.